what? That's fine. Yeah, because that was What? Well, good morning, everybody. You might need to turn me up. Is it? Okay. Maybe I just can't hear myself very well today. I mean, I mean it's turned up pretty loud. Well, so is it? Sorry. It does not bend. This thing is like solid metal. <laughs> anyway, it's going to stay where it is. Okay, I can hear it better now. Um, do we have any announcements for this week? Community meal after? Yep, so stay and enjoy a meal with us after church today. Um, and also, this week, women's group is meeting at 6 on Wednesday for a meal. Kim always has this stuff planned, so. Which I switched, I changed my mind, because last time we had Chipotle, and I think this time, because Papa John's has gluten-free, right? Yes. No, but I'm not. Oh, so. Well, we're also, we're, but they do have gluten-free. Okay, yeah, so that's what we'll do. All right. Special pizza. Switching it up. And then after we eat, we uh, do a spiritual practice. And last time, it was a long one, and we were here late. <laughs> we also started late because we were having too much fun chatting with our dinner. So it's okay. No, it's good. I think it's good stuff because uh, and we dialogue about our prayer practice. So I think it's an important thing that we get to do to share our hearts with each other. So it's it's big stuff. Kingdom community. Um, so the 10 o'clock hour with bugs at the living room is weed pulling. Your spades. Not not hard spades, but like actual spades. It's very uh, metaphorical for spring uh, cleaning. Is that really a metaphor, or is that just actually doing spring cleaning and beautification? <laughs> Oh, oh, see, there you go. There you go. Awesome. Anything else? I'm trying to think. I can't think of anything else. Herb, is there anything? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, why don't we pray? Rose. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we can help you. Help us help you. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Are there any prayer requests before we pray? Y'all are quiet. Didn't you hear Jesus rose from the dead today? <laughs> Sorry. We'll get a hoop and a hollering later. Okay. All right, why don't we pray? Harry called Judy earlier, and she wanted me to tell her why she said hi. Well, cool. She's very upset that we renamed the chair. Oh, man. Okay. God, we thank you so much for gathering us here today. God, we thank you for uh, the newness of life that comes with the spring. Um, 
And God, even though we've been back and forth in winter and in spring, I think that's a metaphor for us in the way that we live our lives in you. Some days that we are in the winter and we are underneath feet and feet of snow and we don't know how we're going to get out or how we're ever going to see the sun or feel the heat of the day again. But God, then there are these wonderful moments where that snow all melts and we feel the warmth and we see the light and the hope that comes with um, experiencing life in you. So God, we pray for no matter where we are in whatever season of life we're in right now, God, that we would know that the hope of spring is coming, that we know that the hope of new life is present and that it is in you. And God, we pray for all of those who are traveling today, who are with their families. God, we pray that they would have um, really lovely conversations and, and good time together, God, that they would be able to grow in love with one another, God, and that whatever hurts that may exist between them and their family members, God, that you would begin a healing process. Lord, I pray for uh, our friends who have moved from this place and including Judy, God, we pray for her today as she is away from us and celebrating this holiday without us. Lord, we thank you that we were able to speak with her this morning, God, and that you have given her time with her family in Colorado. God, we pray that um, she would find you rejoicing today. Lord, as we continue to deepen our relationships with one another in this community, God, I pray that you would teach us more about what it means to be vulnerable about being who we really are, God, and how we can grow in love for one another and support for one another in that vulnerability. Lord, we pray that out of those strong bonds of relationship and friendship in this space, God, that we can serve and love those in our community, our neighbors, our friends, our strangers and stores that we come upon that, God, just need a touch of your love. God, that of from the relationships that we have built, God, we have the strength to give and to share. God, that we would have a renewed understanding of what it means to live abundantly. God, that we would not get stuck in this mentality of scarcity, Father, but that we would see your resurrection as a place that leads us to abundance and abundant living. So, Lord, as we dive into your word today, into an old and very familiar story, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see and to hear, to know more deeply what it means to be loved, to know more deeply what it means to be known, and to know with beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are yours. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be holy and pleasing to you, my God and my Savior. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So, I was, I spend a lot of time studying. <laughs> a lot. And when you're approaching teaching on Easter, it, it feels like, this big thing. I think teaching every week is a big thing, but teaching on Easter seems like it's a bigger thing because it's like 
the Christian holiday. It's the the resurrection of our Lord. And so you've got to be able to do it justice. And so in my studying, I was looking at one of my commentaries that has the passage broken down into four different kinds of perspectives. And one of them is what they call the homiletical perspective or kind of the perspective that focuses on how you go about preaching the text. And the author of that thing came out and said, you know what? Don't try to do anything fancy. <laughs> she said, don't put pressure on yourself to preach something new about the resurrection because we're all going to hear the same story. And so it made me laugh because I, I don't, not that I was trying to teach something new about the resurrection today, but I always want to have a little bit of a different edge or a di different taste for people to see. And I think she put me in my place yesterday. So just thought I'd share that before we get diving into the text. Because we've been journeying through John, which is an interesting gospel. You know, it's the last one that was written. It's the most theological and it's got the most um, kind of flowery language around what's going on. Um, and this story of the resurrection is, I think, the most sensory. It's the most descriptive. It's the most full. And we've got some particular characters that are the focus of this text. And so um, I decided that, I haven't done this in a while, but I picked art to go with each scene um, for us. So hopefully that will help you in your sensory experience and imagining what was going on at the text. So I'm just going to read it all today, if you guys don't mind. So here we are in John 20, um, it's verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings that lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary, stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, 
and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Amen. So, we can't just start with an empty tomb today. Because if we did that, I feel like you miss so much of this story. So, um, I, in my, all my ridiculous amounts of studying, some of you might have seen on Facebook that I posted about some things I had seen earlier in the week in my data collection, I guess you could say. Um, and some of it was this tweet storm that a theolo theologian I follow, Diana Butler Bass, um, posted. And so I'm going to read some of that to you because I feel like it's a really strong understanding of what has happened from last Sunday to now. So this is what she wrote. This is Holy Week, the week in the Christian year that marks the final days of Jesus's life. It is not holy because it is super spiritual, set apart or sacred. It is holy because it shows how God is present in the world. The week is deeply mundane and political. It began with a protest rally. What we call Palm Sunday was a protest rally against Imperial Rome. Those complicit with Rome gathered on one side of the city to hail Pilate's entry into Jerusalem. On the other, the resistors welcomed Jesus and treated him as king. It was a direct act of political theater, a takedown of empire in favor of the moral vision of an alternative kingdom, the kingdom of God. The action of the week resumes on Thursday when Jesus washes his followers' feet in a radical action of upending the social structure of status and service. And then they have a feast, a meal that reminds the disciples of God's promise to set a table in the wilderness, to recall the manna of God's love and provision, and to demonstrate that the world can be a table of hospitality and thanksgiving for all. The Last Supper is intended to be the last supper of the world of imperial injustice and the first meal of God's new order of love, service, and gratitude. It was another political demonstration. For the inner circle, do this in remembrance of me, says Jesus. Remember this. This is what the world is supposed to be like. This is what you are supposed to do from this point on. Set a table of welcome and feast. Don't build imperial cities. The meal is a dinner of liberation. It remembers the dream of God and it anticipates what it can be. A new political order based on love. After the meal, Jesus and his friends go off to reflect and pray about what they have just experienced together. While they are praying, the authorities arrest Jesus. Yes, while they're praying. Thus comes the confusing day of Jesus being passed between complicit religious authorities, Roman soldiers and corrupt politicians, and a gross trial with a predetermined outcome that Jesus is guilty of something, anything, the imperial system just wants him dead. A massive abuse of power, injustice, oppression. 
The imperial political powers, of course, managed to convince the crowd to see it their way because Roman fake news. They put out word that Jesus is a danger. The story that Jesus is really a criminal spreads throughout the city. And so Jesus is executed by the state for pretty much nothing, for preaching a vision of a world based on love. Okay, that's really everything. That's the one thing Rome couldn't bear, that there was a different way of life, a way that didn't include them. The authorities were going to toss Jesus' body in the trash, but a faithful Jewish man wouldn't let that happen. Bodies were created in God's image to be treasured and honored, so he gave his own tomb for Jesus' burial. But even that was a political act, to care for the dead in the face of the Roman desire to destroy any life that opposed it. To put Jesus in a tomb was to say, Rome doesn't get to treat Jews as garbage. It was an act of humanity in the face of political oppression. It was incredibly brave. And with the body awaiting its dressing, everyone thought that was it. Once again, Rome wins. God's vision of a world of liberation, joy, and gratitude will have to wait. And that's where we were on Friday. And we waited through Saturday. There's something new happened today. There was an empty tomb. And there was a woman. So this Mary that we meet here isn't the prostitute that people say that she is. That's not at all who she is. She was a woman who had demons cast out of her by Jesus. She supported Jesus' ministry. And as a result of her action... She was named an apostle to the apostles by the early church. She's big stuff. And there's a reason why she's the only one who's at the tomb in John's gospel. She is devastated by Jesus' death, by his beaten body, by all that had happened so quickly right before the Sabbath. And so she rushes to the tomb when it's still dark to be able to prepare his body in a way that they weren't able to do so before the Sabbath. But the tomb was empty, and so she assumed that the Roman soldiers had taken Jesus' body because of what Bass said, because the Romans desecrated Jewish bodies. So once she realized that the tomb was empty, she ran to get the other disciples. And the two guys that responded to her that we're at the place where Mary went, were John and Peter. You know, we could say that they're probably the closest disciples to Jesus. You know, in the, in the scene of the Last Supper, John is leaning on Jesus, and I'm thinking about him like laying in Jesus' nook. Men don't do that in our culture now. I can't imagine Quinn leaning up on any of the other guys in church. I don't know what you do on your men's night, but you can if you'd like. <laughs> so just thinking about like that, that physical closeness, that experience of friendship that they have. And then Peter's just the one who always says all the things that puts his foot in his mouth and is just like all of us. Um, and so I, if Peter wasn't in the gospel, I think we'd all find fewer people to relate to in the gospel stories. Um, but these are the two that Jesus was closest to. John was the one that um, Jesus on the cross had said, take care of my mom. Be the one who takes care of my mom. So these guys were really important to Jesus. So they're the ones that are in this foot race 
I love that painting. I want to go back to it. So that this painting where they're running is um, in the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. This is really famous. And so it just like looking at them just kind of straining to run to get to the tomb to see what was going on, I think is a is a really interesting port portrayal. Um, Peter looks really old here. He probably wasn't that old, but we'll just let that go. Artistic interpretation, right, friends? Okay, so um, so they get there. John is faster. He gets there first. He hesitates, though. But Peter just barges right in. He's like, okay, what's going on here? What's, what's checking it out? They see the, the linen wrappings, which makes them go, well, that's kind of odd, the way that they're laid out. You know, grave robbers probably wouldn't have taken the time to lay the grave clothes that way. But they still don't understand. And in their confusion, we're kind of left, like, well, what do they actually know? And the text says that they, they don't understand, that they have not fully understood that Jesus has been resurrected. Um, so they just leave, and they go home. But Mary sticks around. She's hanging out. She's uh, going back into the tomb after um, Peter and John have left. There's angels there. She doesn't seem really freaked out by the fact that there's angels there. I intentionally chose that picture of the angels as just men in white clothes that are glowing because all of the other paintings had big old wings and stuff. Angels didn't look like that. <laughs> so, so there's these guys just hanging out in there, and she's like trying to dialogue with them about her grief. She's trying to figure out what's going on, and they don't really give her any information, so she goes outside and talks to the guy that's there, who she supposes is the gardener. There's a lot of conversation in uh, theological circles about why she thought he was a gardener, and how that's really very appropriate to our understanding of Jesus as the originator of our faith. He is the seed that was planted in the ground, and now he has come alive. Um, all of that really kind of amazing metaphorical understanding of Christ. Um, she doesn't know who he is, and she's just desperately trying to figure out what to do in her grief. And she doesn't know him until he says her name. And Jesus says, in the Gospels that the sheep will know me by my voice when I call their name. He called her name and she knew him. And so we're presuming that she was hanging on to Jesus because Jesus says, don't hang on to me. She probably was so overwhelmed. Like this is, this is my Lord. He has come again. He has risen from the dead. He is alive again. Wouldn't you grab onto him? He's like, don't keep holding on to me. Don't stay in this moment. You've got other things to do. I've got other things to do. So Jesus needs to be returned to his father, and Mary needs to go and tell this story. And it's because of her telling that story that she is called the apostle to the apostles. So we're here today to announce that there is a whole new world. So Christ is risen. He's risen, He's risen indeed. I know that's very churchy, but I felt like I had to do it today. So Bass had rounded out the end of her tweet to talk about 
the resurrection. She says the feast of God will replace every Roman temple, every unjust system, every oppressive, complicit religious and political system. The world is one of tables of abundance, with people from all walks of life sitting together, sharing in the gifts of creation, rejoicing in gratefulness. Abundance and gratitude, the receiving and sharing of gifts, is God's vision of community, of politics. That means life together. Easter means goodbye Rome, welcome feast. And that's why this week is holy, because the political world is hollowed by the ever-creative, ever-loving God who uprises us to liberation and love. Get ready, that uprising is here. So even in the midst of all the sin and death and brokenness that we see around us, Christ is still risen. There is still an abundant table that is set for us if we choose to join it. Even in the midst of school shootings and the loss of so many children and teachers and staff, there's a march for our lives and moms demand action. And in those movements, we see resurrection. In the midst of black men losing their lives at unprecedented rates, there is Black Lives Matter in the March for Action, and in those movements, we see the resurrection. In the midst of Puerto Rico's lack of basic sanitation and services since Hurricane Maria, there are organizations and churches and individuals working to help when our government turned its back. In this, we see resurrection. And in the midst of marrying of influential Christianity with political power, resulting in a faith that looks nothing like Jesus, there are the red-letter Christians, the inglorious pastors, and Beth Moore, and many other people who are beginning to speak truth to power. And in this, we see resurrection. So for all the times in your life that you have thought death might just have the last word, that the political powers may be taking over, and that nothing new could come of this, that nothing good could ever come of this, just hold on and listen for the voice of the Good Shepherd calling your name. There just might be a resurrection uprising coming after all. So I think it's certainly fitting that we end our Easter today, of our gathering and worship together today at a table, because this is an abundant table that's been set for all of us. No matter what you believe, what kind of household you grew up in, whatever, Jesus is welcoming all of us. And in a celebration of an abundance, a new life, and the beauty of creation, we are welcome to this table. Overwhelmed by God's goodness, God's graciousness, and the love that we are called to share with all of humanity. So this is a small meal. It's a representative meal of what Jesus is calling us all to do in our day-to-day life. So we come to the table and we break the bread and we dip it into the juice, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, so that we may go to our meal 
on the other side of those curtains to continue to taste and see that the Lord is good in our relationships with one another, the way that we can encourage each other and support one another. And then we go out of these doors and taste and see that the Lord is good, even in all of that brokenness, that we can be a light. Come to the table. It is prepared for all of you.